You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join Sealing's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the Own the Build podcast. We get closer and closer to the ton each week. It's Paul Hemming here. Hope everyone's doing well. At the top of the show, I'm going to talk briefly again about C-Link and product that we've recently brought out. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, we've brought out a tool that helps you to manage the forecast final account process. Managing subby accounts and monthly CVRs for me was always a bit of a nightmare. Drove me mad. And it would take me a day or two to get everything together and all my various different projects. We've built a tool that effectively helps you do things automatically, helps you to manage your instructions, your variations, and create a forecast final account on every package, on every project, sorry, in real time. I'm certain it would help many QSs out there because it certainly would have helped me and my team back in the day. I'd love to show you it, so I'll leave a link to book a demo in the podcast description. Get in touch, reach out to me, that'd be cool. Anyway, enough about me. Enough about sealing. We've got someone very interesting on today's show. Today, I've got Ross Griffin, who is the founder and chief commercial specialist. I'm a big fan of that at Cosmos, who are a company who provide specialist commercial management advice to both the Nordic and the Irish construction industry. Quite the combo. I'm excited. Ross, welcome to Own the Build. How are you? I'm wonderful, yeah. Thank you very much, and thanks for the invite. It's great to be chatting to you. I've only spoken to you a few times, Ross, and you are a man who just kind of in- instantly puts a smile on my face. That's because I'm crying most of the time, I guess, <laughs> right? So that makes you happy to see me sad. <laughs> it does. It certainly does. So I've given... I know you. We've chatted before. It's going to be a great chat. Like I said, I kind of like your founder and chief commercial specialist title that I see that you have on LinkedIn. Tell us just a little bit about, I guess, your career up to Cosmos and then um, what you guys do now. No bother. Yeah, I guess uh, I've been in the industry for last 20 odd years um, and I started originally as a an estimator working for a contractor in Ireland Ooh, and I spent estimators. the first estimators, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're a dying breed, that skill set, I'll tell you. Um, no, but uh, about 10 years, I guess, a little bit over 10 years, I worked on the contractor side. 60% of that was estimating. The remainder of that was on-site as a project QS, managing claims, valuations, variations, et cetera, et cetera. And then for the last decade or so, I've been working as a consultant on the client side. And um, so I guess a, a kind of a wide experience uh but kind of from 09 to two years ago, I have, I'd been living in Denmark. So a lot of international experience out of Denmark, working for contractors and consultants. Uh, but I'm now back living in Ireland, which is also interesting, moving back home after a decade, how things have changed, I guess, how you, you as a person have changed. But um, yeah, 2019, I was working in Denmark as a cost consultant on, on a, for a very large uh, engineering uh, consultancy. And um, myself and my colleagues uh, were looking at the industry within Denmark, and we could see 
see that there was an opportunity to deliver specialist cost consultancy services within the Danish environment, within the Danish structure, within the Danish contracts, um, and also within the Danish language, which is important. So uh, we made a decision to start Cosmos, and uh, we're 100% focused on cost management, uh, cost estimating, risk management, that entire commercial delivery, particularly though on the uh, pre-construction and 100% on digital projects. Uh, Our projects have to be MIM projects. All our projects today are digital projects. We don't do traditional 2D projects. If you came to us and asked us to work on a 2D project, I'd say, a what? You know, there's plenty other. Co- <laughs> I, 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 what? 2D what? <laughs> is there even a D that low? Is there? We wouldn't, we wouldn't do it. We'd, uh, we prefer the digital projects. We prefer working with 3D, with the BIM process, BIM execution plans, the model information qualification, all of that real aspect. So what we coined a few years ago after starting Cosmos was the digital QS. And that's what we categorize ourselves today is the digital QS. And the new QS of the future when it comes to, I, I was listening a couple of uh, shows back, uh, Death at the Quantity Surveyor, and uh, we, we have a little video as well about the, you know, quantity surveying is dead. And it was interesting to see the comparisons, right, and the reactions of people of how crazy that Some is. very so angry folk I think the transition. Ex- extremely angry. Yes. Uh, what What is all this about? You know, the hysteria <laughs> that you're creating. And I went, hang on a second. You know, we're not saying that it's gone completely. We're saying that it's now transitioning into what we would call the digital QS. Other people have other terminology for it. So um, no, it's really cool. Yeah. I, I, I really like what you're doing. And I think that's kind of how we came together, wasn't it? After our, there was a post I did off the back of the extension of the QS and you posted on there, which is really, really cool. But I really like what you're doing. I really like the way that you as a business kind of like outwardly present yourself. One of the things that struck me, I'm interested to ask you about because I thought it was a really unique way to market yourself was the video on your website, which as you land on it, it kind of just jumps out at you. It's a video. It's like an interview, if you like, with you for 60 seconds, 90 seconds. I can't remember exactly. But you talk a lot on there about your background, your family, and you even mention your mum and the farm which you grew up on. And and I think the quote is, there's always work to do on the farm. You can come home this weekend or something like that. Exactly. Why do you talk about that in a video outwardly presenting your business? At the end of the day, remove everything from construction and all it is is people. So we like to work with people that we know. We like to work with people that we like. So people like to get to know people. So for us, the reason that we have an outwardly approach to our business and an outwardly approach to us as individuals is because we want to get people to know who we are, even if we don't meet the it's the day of social media now. It's the day of, you know, video content. It's also the day that we don't have any patience to read documents anymore. So video content for us is very important. So in short video content, you can get to know, I, I guess, a person, whether you like them or not. And it's important for us to speak about our background because it's it's one of the reasons that we are where we are today, right, is because of our background and the journey we've been on you know so the farm and growing up when we were younger was quite important and that that idea that um, there's always work to do it's always there it doesn't matter it gives us kind of the work ethic that we have today you know so it's uh yeah no, i really really liked it and it it really 
warm way, really personable way to present yourself. And um, I really liked it. I think it was really good. So kudos on that. Funny, isn't it? What you say there about a lack of like attention span, really, in this in this modern world. And like I was talking to you before, we kind of came together after a post I did about episode 88 of Own the Bills, Extinction of the QS. And if you listen to that podcast in full, what we're kind of talking about is, and it was a bit of a facetious, tongue-in-cheek title, to kind of, this is kind of, you, you get you get it back, right? So I did that to kind of garner some interest. It got a lot of interest and a lot of people kind of piled in and said, you're an idiot, what are you going on about? But off the back of, quite literally, the top line of a post, even the snippet of that video was actually talking about what QS could become and actually it's much more the evolution of the QS. But it's funny how people react. What are your thoughts on the future of the quantities there? You've dubbed yourselves digital QSs. Yep. How do you see it moving forward? Look, what we don't realise, oh, I guess... Big, that was a big sigh. It, I, I've, I've literally positioned myself here as I'm talking to you standing, you know. This is this is an interesting question, Fist something we debate, we debate <laughs> about, exactly. And we debate about quite quite a bit. As a profession, quantity surveying is not recognized in almost all of the global world, right? It is a profession that originated in, in the UK. You will find it in many of the ex-colonial countries uh, like Ireland, for example. But if you come to the Nordics, if you go to many countries in Europe, Asia, quantity surveying doesn't exist. So people view uh, cost management as an add-on task that the project manager does, the architect does, the engineer does. And right now, today, people are looking at how can they write code to automate that process because people would look at it as a simple process. What, why do we need a, prof, a professional around it? So we look at, at our profession into the future and say to ourselves, if we don't create the QS of the future, someone is going to write code to write us out of the future. So we go the digital QS. So we're now focusing on what the future QS profession will look like. Will it be what we do today 2D drawings and measurements and 2D measurement on screen, or will well, all not that... not you. You hate 2D. <laughs> stop. I hate it. I don't want to do measurement at all as a quantity surveyor. I want the architect and engineer to design a model that I can get automation, automated quantities from. We don't want to be doing that anymore. We want the architect and engineer to do it, and we want to qualify that information. So, again, if we look out outwardly from our traditional quantity surveying perspective in a global market we're actually very we're irrelevant compared to other professions within the construction industry so we really have to look at what is the future what is it for us how can we get there and how can we make the kind of global industry look at us as as being an, an important part of that looking delivery. at the qs do you mean as a profession looking at the qs yeah because dumb down the profession which it, it is dumbed down in quite a lot of countries you can easily write code and automate that using artificial intelligence and 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 algorithms right but if you look at the complexity of what the qs really delivers a lot of it cannot be written because we're people managers we have a lot of soft skills you know contracts etc and a lot of that now needs to be digitized so if we can transfer all of this knowledge based into digital process we can begin to create the qs as a value manager and a quality manager in the future not a quantity manager if you know what i mean yeah, it's almost like a, I always viewed it as like a commercially minded project manager. And the interesting thing is we have a 
different set of experiences, but I think a shared experience in that you you went to Denmark, you've been working in the Nordic regions on projects where the QS as a quantity surveyor, it doesn't exist. I went and so I'd spent five years working in the UK, then I moved down to London and worked for an Italian company, big Italian company, subcontractor, and I've arrived there as a quantity surveyor in the London office, and I was allocated my counterpart in Italy, and that counterpart was a cost controller. Now, yeah, they didn't have... An accountant. Yeah. Somewhere in between... Yeah. I don't, I don't, don't want to miss speaking and sending my former colleagues. There's some brilliant ones out there, but a cost controller was someone who kind of was your in-between a QS and an accountant and was kind of putting together some of your cost reports, etc. but was absolutely, in my opinion, not a quantity surveyor. And as I grew in that company, I had so many conversations where I said, cost controller can kind of support the QS, but a good QS is commercially-minded project manager, is someone who is going to see risk is going to be able to add value etc quality like you say and has technical knowledge also that's an important part of it has has the built environment absolutely. technical knowledge and yeah. a, a cost controller doesn't potentially come from that background um, and this is the value add that a, a QS really brings is that they are commercially and contractually focused, but they have this technical background that supports their knowledge base for that decision making within the construction, construction project and the built environment. And that's really lacking uh, when you go to other countries, which is why the cost manager QS is such a still such a vital role and why we need to be promoting this uh, globally. I've spent the last 12 years explaining on every project to every client, to every kind of individual and team that I've worked with, what is a cost manager? What is a quantity surveyor? What do they do? What is the role and responsibility? And why there's value in having such a, an individual or discipline on your project? Yeah, it's funny because I look at that relationship at that company where you would have cost controller and a QS or commercial manager and I look back and reflect on it and I think in the context of this conversation, what's going to be automated, what's going to be removed, it isn't going to be the QS because the QS retains genuine value. But getting those costs controlled, getting them reported and divvied up to the QS who then analyzes it. And I don't want to do any of my old colleagues. This is not what I was coming here to do. No. <laughs> but that's kind of now how I, how I think about it in the context of these conversations. Is yeah. The QS and I just feel we're just relevant. about, we just got in trouble, I think. So yeah, uh, exactly. sorry Maybe to everybody out there. You know, really Can we apologize. edit this bit? Um, <laughs> but no, it's really interesting. So what I'm finding most interesting is my experience was trying to change the culture and mindset on a very small level in into company really where i was trying to explain this is what qs does this is why you need it um and should be respected and be a really key role if you like for the project manager but knowing that in italy they didn't have one kind of felt the commercial elements fell into a project managers i worked on the american embassy in london americans don't have qs falls on the project manager and i'm guessing it's similar to denmark right so tell me how you sell, this is fascinating to me, having done that in a business, how are you now going out to the market in Denmark and saying, you guys need a QS? Are they not going, oh, what? Yeah. So it takes, first of all, it takes a lot of patience. Charm. Patience. Oh, <laughs> charm. Yeah, that's another one. No, patience, first of all, because 
you you really do repeat the same kind of uh, story and the conversation is the same over and over again because it's an educational process and the fact of the matter is when you're talking to individuals you can you can get individuals to understand how it can add value but when you're talking to clients of companies or you're talking to an industry at large which is kind of what we're doing in Denmark we're talking to the industry at large not just to the the investors or the developers but we're talking to the architects the engineers the project managers anybody that is involved in construction we're saying that this discipline now is a necessity on project because projects are bigger more complex etc so patience first of all but you also need to be able to prove your argument to why so people will ask you for examples of where you can show that this particular discipline or process has created value and was a success that's the most important aspect of of any discussion you know but um but i'm i'm a client in denmark project manager maybe i've got my cost controls i don't know exactly the format i got this charming irishman comes in and says you need a qs and i say I've never had a QS. All my projects have been absolutely fine. Bugger off. What would you say in return? Is it 90 to 93% of projects in Denmark go over budget? So we would say automatically you have an issue there. Is isn't there something that we can do in order to maybe help reduce that potential overspend and risk for you as as but an individual? But then I would say, you know, let's have a look at the numbers in the UK. At- 80% of the or in you know yeah, what I mean yeah. so so do you yeah and no absolutely there's 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 issues uh, within the UK and the, of course other countries that have quantity surveyors i would then say to to some of our clients that we speak of you're technically running a business with a turnover of let's say it is 5 to 10 million pounds a year now th- hypothetically if you have a business of that nature are you managing the accounts yourself as the business owner slash project manager you are absolutely not managing the accounts you will get your accountant to manage your accounts for you within that business so we're saying you as a project manager are turning over 5 to 10 million pounds on this project in the next 2 years per year you need someone that has both technical capability and commercial capability to support you on that project to make sure that what your decisions you're making are the correct commercially are correct from a risk perspective that someone is commercially focused looking at the change process and i think these conversations they're it's a they're a very slow burner especially for people that don't look at their projects or their process as an issue it's not that difficult to speak to people who see a problem within the project and come to us and say we need your assistance here and we focus heavily really on the people that look for our help rather than the people that don't believe they don't need it we'll focus on that because we are small young agile company it allows us to do that you know but the conversation again as i say it, it's it's a repetitive process and it's the same when you go to other countries not just Denmark we work in quite a lot of countries around the world north south america we're in china vietnam australia uh we don't have anything in ireland yet because we are bim focused first rather than cost focused and uh, we're not there yet in ireland with our with our bim strategies uh, yet really interesting and what i want to get into is kind of your digital QS mentality, connection with BIM, connection with pre-construction, and I suggest we do that right after this break. (laughs) 
Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded Sealink with my best mate Chris. Chris and I were both QSs, and this is going to sound sad, but one night we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering and we realised the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, if you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link, www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box. So again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. I'm having a good time here today, Ross. I'm enjoying this. I want to get into the detail with you now and just help to... There'll be people going through pre-construction now on their projects, be commercial managers, there might be design managers, there might be architects, project managers, and thinking about how best to collaborate, who they want at the table in design meetings, etc. You think, and you laboured the point earlier about pre-construction and that's where you like to be heavily involved talk to us about the importance of a close relationship between design and commercial at pre-construction yeah a couple of comments to that so i would say pre-construction you have the opportunity for value creation it's a proactive area within the project post-contract in execution it's a reactive situation and what do I mean by that? A lot of people will be saying, but hang on a second, it's all, you need to put a plan together, you need to ex- you need to strategize, you need to deliver within the plan and the execution. Yes, but around the parameters of the contract. And that contract will tie your hands a little bit in terms of the proactiveness of quality-driven approach to the project from a client's perspective, because they're now tied to the contractor. So pre-construction, you have, from a client's perspective, a wealth of opportunity to create value. So part of our kind of ethos in Cosmos is integrated, collaborative, value-driven, digital, transparent cost management. Well, that's kind of a mouthful, right? So integrated, collaborative, value-driven, digital, uh, transparent cost management. And And the important part of that is integrated and collaborative. And in order for for the cost manager to succeed in their delivery in in their project with their client they need to rely heavily on the other stakeholders to provide information to to them or to us that that we can use in order to deliver what we need to do to our clients now you traditionally qss would, would be a bit standoffish they would kind of sit at the back of the meetings take the notes wait for the design team maybe to not be invited maybe not even be invited, wait for the design team to deliver the pack of design in drawings. And traditionally, we would have opened the drawings, measured manually, quantified. Drawing and specification would would contradict. We would kind of make a decision on what direction we should take that. We would formulate that in the cost plan, the cost estimates, and the bill of quantities. 
But today, that's all changing because BIM and its ethos is derive, it's driving collaboration. It's driving integration with all the stakeholders. And again, in its ethos, it's the sharing of information across stakeholder groups. So now today on our projects, architects design within a 3D environment. They write their specifications. They share that information with us as the cost manager. And then we use that information in order to develop our cost plans, cost estimates, and bills of quantities. But that doesn't happen at the end of the process. It happens, first of all, at the beginning for the strategy. And it happens from our perspective on a weekly basis with the with the design team in this communication flow that we have set up as part of our strategy for project delivery. Yeah, I mean, we talked with, um, well, it's going back a few episodes now, quite a few, actually. We talked with the RICS Young Surveyor of the Year earlier this year about relationship management between architect and QS, cost consultant, in that often... It's a, there's there's friction there. You've got competing desires, and or competing objectives. Probably better way rather than desires. Definitely not sure what desires is a thing, but you know it's creates friction. But his his way of managing that process was from the very outset, sitting down with the architect, explaining his mindset, his ethos in the context of the client's objectives, because often, well, that's all that really matters. So. It's a project. It has to get yeah. It has to get clarified at the pre-construction stage. How does BIM actually make that process better? BIM is actually driving it right. So because it's building information modeling or building information management, actually we prefer to use the the last uh, uh, explanation rather than modeling its management. BIM is driving this collaboration because right now stakeholders are producing information that can be used later down the project lifecycle by other stakeholders as long as the level of information and the level of detail is of a very good quality. If it's not, stakeholders can't use it later. There's an there's a stop block, there's an issue, and a lot of people revert back and a lot of companies revert back to their traditional process. The QS is a particularly good example of this. Right now, the biggest stumbling block for QSs is that they're not getting good quality information uh, in the design or in the models, and they're reverting back to PDF 2D measurements to, to deliver their standard approach. Is that a lack of quality information, or is that a lack of understanding about how BIM works and how to benefit really from it? It's, it's, the, it's the latter. It's the lack of understanding of how different stakeholders operate within this BIM ecosystem. So the architect and engineer are designers. They're developing information within their 3D model and BIM environment for one purpose and one purpose only. That is the output of good quality design. They're not developing the information relating uh, for the QS to quantify. They're not developing the information. Their focus is on delivering good quality design. That's what they're contracted to do. Now, as part of that process, they could easily develop better quality information and they, they can do it as long as us as the QSs can get involved in the conversation with them early and together as a group develop that information along the project lifecycle so that when you get to the gateway and that, 
that delivery stage, you've already qualified everything. You're already there and you've built that collaborative relationship with the individuals uh, within the stakeholder groups so that you can communicate much more freely because they become your colleagues at the end of the day. And we're missing that. I can see it in Ireland at the moment. UK is similar from the conversations I have. There's still this divide between the stakeholder groups. It's us versus them. It's and even you mentioned, you know, the architects or the design team have have a have a different prerogative than the QS. But at the end of the day, actually, we all have the same one. It's a project success. It's a delivery of a project, and and everybody can go. That was fantastic. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of plagues it. And it's interesting that you're saying that BIMS could theoretically be a tool to bring down some of those barriers it is we, okay. we're doing it this is what okay. we do this is what we've done in cosmos we have huge success with our clients on this and so talk to me then you mentioned value creation at pre-construction you, you, you labored the point this is where you'd get value creation value creation value creation what would be an example on a recent project where you being involved at pre-construction on a BIM model where you created value? Well, it's basically every project we work on because what's end up happening is that if you look at the, the process right now on the project, models and design information has been developed for one purpose only, and that is to deliver a design that can be procured from the market. In Denmark and the Nordics and other countries, that is de developed, it's quality assured by the same discipline silos that develop the information. So no one looks at the design information with a critical eye for an, an, an alternative purpose other than design until it goes to the market. So we as QSs come in and we begin to look at the design on a bi-monthly, bi-weekly basis, continuously with the design team. And we're qualifying the information that they're pr producing not from a design perspective, but from a quality assurance perspective. Does it make sense? Does the BIM model, the 2D drawings, the diagram, the specification, does all that communicate in terms of what they're saying, the terminology, the, the coding structures? Is it in accordance with the BIM execution plan? Can we use the information being produced within the design tools like Revit? And that is all digital as opposed to the previous analog process where you know qs would say all right i'll have a look at the design print it off go through it measure it up etc we don't have printers we if you ask me to print off a document to sign i can't do it for you we don't have printers so uh we don't <laughs> really don't Except use with the biggest smile on his face yeah. smirk even <laughs> we don't we honestly don't we don't work in 2d if there's a 3d available even at the the very like Reba stage one, Reba stage zero. Now in Denmark, they're beginning, they don't even sketch anymore. It's sketch up, it's volumetric. You can pull quantum from it. It's really early stage stuff. It must uh, be It must be an Irish thing, right? On episode 60 or something, we had a chap called Ronan in who's working on this big project in Saudi Arabia. A BIM fanatic he is. I know Ronan, yeah. Okay, yeah, and yeah. He, he, I said to him, what happens if uh, someone comes to a design meeting and gets a drawing out? on paper and he says they they leave the design meeting instantly yeah like it, it's it's the way it's going and people are really struggling to get their head around this so like we, we talk about what cosmos does and we've developed this process this roadmap we call it and in order to be transparent for our clients so that in the start of the project we deliver this roadmap and we say this is how we're going to uh, deliver value for you and you talked a little bit and I need, i'm going to answer your question in terms of value creation so at each gateway 
we show the roadmap and it's based around the design stages. It could be Reba, for example, or local here in Denmark or whichever the case may be. And as part of that roadmap process, we sit with each discipline. So that's architect, engineer, that's structural engineer, electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, ventilation engineer, fire engineer, each week or every two weeks. And we look at the models, we look at the design information, and we qualify the information that's been produced on that weekly basis. And that weekly meeting is for change and risk also. So you're constantly communicating and developing and uh, the design with the team. So we become colleagues with these teams. So people begin to trust and there's the relationship doesn't become architect QS anymore. The relationship becomes, okay, what best can we do for this project? And what ends up happening after a number of months of this process is that disciplines come to you as the QS and they go, Ross, we can see that the client in this meeting today is asking for this and this is going to impact our design. It's a change. What can we do about this? As opposed to trying to avoid Change you. log risk. <laughs> as opposed to trying and avoid you. So the benefit that the architect and engineer and the design team get out of a, get out of this is they get better qualification along the process so that when we get to the end of the stage, they don't have to go back and redesign. They don't have to take the strategy that they have been working on, the design that they have worked on for the last three months, six months, and then for someone to tell them, that's too expensive. That's wrong. You need to go back and design. What we do on the process is we develop that road with them of the decision making on what direction they should be taking. So by the time we get to the gateway or the approval or what financing stage or tender, we've already taken all those decisions. There is yeah, no you redesign. Open the door and people walk through. Yeah. There is no design. There is no redesign. We don't go backwards. We get as far as this and we can guarantee that this is, if the process is followed, that we go straight through the gate and on we go. So value creation, you ask me, that's one part of value creation. The other one is when you go to tender, because you've qualified all the information in the 3D model, specification, draw, diagrams and drawings, you don't get the the interaction of RFIs and, and this huge kind of negative communication flow with the contractor, they're looking at a design going, actually, this is really good. We can do this. So you're, after contractor, during the tender process, your claims come down dramatically. Everybody's kind of happy and satisfied. The contractor can submit a price that they can believe in. The client is getting a project that's on time and on budget. Everybody's happy. You're preaching to the choir here. I mean, a robust and thorough tender process is kind of everything I believe in in terms of then giving you the foundations for that good client contractor or contractor subcontractor relationship. That makes a, a whole load of sense. And it's really interesting because, again, the, the, particularly these last few episodes, this last couple of months, it's really been about reframing how QSs are going to or how quantities of vang is going to be moving forward. It's not going to be cost controlling. It's really, really interesting. And I can totally understand where the value comes in. Going back to that point of what you seem to be foreseeing the future about your, because you're almost creating a business, Digital QS, which is completely forward thinking. It's just thinking about what the QS actually could be rather than what it is today if there are qs's listening right now who are like interested in this space like what would you, what would your advice be to them more about mentality than you know like a specific thing to go and do yeah uh, a lot of the challenges we've a pretty big challenge at the moment is actually finding people because 
there is no digital QSs. They don't exist. First of all, we're not educating in them. Uh, if you look at the university curriculums, we're not looking at data. There's no data and an, uh, an analytics. There's no critical thinking. There's no uh, heavy BIM uh, within our QS educational stream at the moment. And if there is, I would really like someone to come tell me which university is teaching yeah. this at the moment, to be honest, because we're looking at it. Even if you look at the RICS's description of what a quantity surveyor is, I don't think it has changed in 25 years. And if students are going in for QS per, uh, bachelor's education right now, in four years' time or five years' time, they're they're coming out. They're the digital QS of the future. They're, they're going to be the digital QS. But the curriculum we're teaching them hasn't caught up with that idea yet. So we're, we're, we're behind what the future needs right now, right at this moment. So for QSs that are really interested in this, this aspect of it, I would say that we need to get out of our QS uh, silo. We need to be looking at the architectural, the engineering, the project management, all of the stakeholder development and get to understand really how these individuals or stakeholders are delivering their projects. We need to be looking at the technologies that they're doing, the, the standards that they're implementing, because one of the reasons we're having this conversation today and the reason that we would consider ourselves, you know, digital QSs is that we came into an environment in Denmark where digitization was kind of in its infancy, but it was driven by design. And we we're coming into a, an industry where QSing and cost management or anything relating to the structure behind it doesn't exist. So, so you're we kind of creating it, right? Yeah. So we couldn't come in and say, hang on a second, we have NRM from the RICS. <laughs> we want to implement Give me this. Your drawers and you- are print them. And we need to code this and measure them. <laughs> exactly. And you, we couldn't do that. So we had to alter the way we did our delivery and we had to alter our profession in order to embed ourselves in the project delivery process that was already predefined by the design team and traditional process. That had opened up our eyes to how we're, we're delivering projects, how our method of measurements are now archaic. They need to completely be changed and and I would say put in the bin and start it absolutely again and look at I don't how think the- there's too many QSs who will complain about you putting measurement in the bin. I yeah. certainly would not. <laughs> so like this is why we are kind of where we are today because we have been doing it for now almost a decade. We were have embedded. So what we have tried to do now is take information and that knowledge outwardly into other markets that are really struggling at the moment. So for the students and the, and the QSs that are really interested in this area, there's a wealth of information available online today. We do lots of videos. We do lots yeah, of talks. We do lots them. of presentations, all of that stuff. Online, you can talk to me as well. Just write to me. I, I'll I'll respond as quickly as I can. In terms of education, there is, of course, BIM courses that you can do, and there's digital courses. I would say, if, if you like Excel, become a super user. Get into macros, get into coding. This is what the QS of the future will be doing as which well. Which is like. kind of, yeah, it's kind of exactly what we've alluded to in all these previous episodes, which is why, and I think you're such a fascinating person to speak to about this because of the fact that you are kind of reinventing the QS in a completely new market. You're kind of saying, I know you don't have this, but this is kind of really useful. And clearly your business is breaking through in these areas where you don't have a QS, which is almost, I would say, shining a light on what a QS can be, this digital QS. My worry, and this is a personal worry, is that BIM 
just doesn't get through. Forget QSs. I just think it doesn't get through to such a big chunk of the industry. And it's not because it isn't a great tool. It's because people don't get exposed to it and they don't understand it. So how can they? I would say, first of all, BIM is a process. I would say not a tool. It's a process. It's digitizing traditional information and digitizing additional uh, uh, traditional processes you get tools that then support this process uh, within that kind of BIM environment I would say it's absolutely inevitable it's like the mobile phone if you go back to the 90s there was none yeah sorry there was you could buy them they were big and huge and chunky is and that they- where we are we still is BIM the equivalent of a one foot one foot long mobile phone I, I'd say where we are where we are now is probably the Nokia 8210 of the early noughties right where you know you, Ooh, you can play that if it, 3310 when that comes up we're really talking and anybody that my vintage will understand what I'm talking about right but uh, <laughs> that's kind of where we're at and people are looking at it and, and at that point a lot of people had phones and then there's the other side of the industry like uh, de- developing the smartphone and people are saying, well, all of this kind of that these uh, practices and the stuff we have in our wallets is all going to be in one p- p- place and position in the future. And that's going to be this kind of handset that we carry around that can do everything right. And we, people are saying, don't be ridiculous. You know, it's like the Internet, the Internet. What's that? What is that? It's not going to make anything right. Going back again to the 80s and 90s and look at us now. Technology is is kind of developing more and more because the reason I say that it's inevitable is because the value that it can create is massive. I mean, like we can reduce projects by months. We can reduce cost by billions. We can re- we can reduce increase quality. When you get as far as let's, we haven't even talked about sustainability, embodied carbon, ESG. We haven't even got to that, and that's a whole nother kind of story um, that we could we could develop. That all needs to be driven by data, and data is the new gold. And data becomes this necessity and the only way to do that is through digitization and the only way to do that when in the construction environment is BIM. It's so I mean I actually really like that as a way of picturing where we're at with BIM we're on Nokia's we haven't even had the iPhone 3G or whatever it was let alone where we are today like there's so much to be gained from it and it's exactly the same as kind of like the conversation around AI machine learning etc it I think it's a real opportunity for people to get themselves ahead of the game and kind of think about how it's going to be different as opposed to being mean to me on social media and saying on LinkedIn, <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> QSs will never die. What's, wait a minute. Was that my alter ego writing to you, was it? Maybe that was it. You know? <laughs> Could have been, yeah. Using that analogy of the phone, right? Some people have still the block and they have that in mind and some people are still working off the landline and they're going... This is ridiculous. But what they can do is they can now leapfrog the block or the Nokia 8210 and they can go straight to the smartphone. They can get there because some countries, I would say, like Denmark and their Nordic neighbors are really driving the, the BIM process. And they're, they're as far as the smartphone. They've got there. They're now looking at how they can digitize all the information and workflow within their the industry as, as a whole. The SMEs are all driving digitization within their handheld devices. Uh, contractors are really pushing of how they can create value within the, the industry because it makes them more competitive. And I would say from a QS perspective, like 
when you get to the end of a gateway and it, it takes you six to eight weeks to develop a bill of quantities and you're doing it manually, like it's crazy. We, we can get we can get rid of all that. We can take a month off of that or, or a month and a half off that and deliver something in two weeks Don't because we've already, <laughs> we've already done it. We've already done it. That part of the QS, that quant, the quantification and bill of quantity production, that is gone. Uh, honestly, it's gone. And uh, as long as we can get into this process of collaboration and information quality and so on, then automation will follow it. I completely, completely agree. And... Um... As always, I say this at the end, I guarantee if I listen back to every single episode, I say this, I don't know where the time has gone, but the time has flown by. As you said, there's plenty of other things that we could cover. Perhaps we will cover them in the future. One thing I will highly recommend all of the listeners is that you go and follow Ross on LinkedIn. I did it and I'm now constantly charmed by by the post and feel <laughs> you feel good about life for us. So I'm gonna share your LinkedIn and we share details of Cosmos in the podcast podcast description. And uh, we're yeah. in our honeymoon stage. That's why you're charmed by <laughs> give it. it. Give Wait it till time, later. Mate. You'll be annoyed. You'll be annoyed by it. You'll be annoyed by it. Yeah. By the time this goes out, I may have stopped following Ross. <laughs> no, Ross. Thanks so much for coming on the show, mate. Been a pleasure to have you on, and I'm sure everyone has got great value from it. No bother. Cheers, buddy. Excellent. And guys. Don't forget, I do like it when you leave us reviews and ratings. So as you uh, pick up your phone now, just do that for us. Have a great week. I will speak to you next week. See you later. Bye.